to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Okay. All right. Well, if you have your Bible, why don't you grab it with me and turn to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew. And uh, is that summer that I see back there? Summer, it is so good to see you. What, what a great surprise. I didn't know if you, where in the world you were, but here you are. You're in, in Winter Park today, so we're so glad to see you this morning. And uh, Matthew chapter 5, if you have your Bible, and I encourage you, always have a Bible, check what I'm saying. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, and you can look at verse 38. We'll get there in just a second. And uh, we have been in a series uh, for really a couple of months that we are calling counterculture, counterculture. And what we are talking about in this series um, is not just natural culture. You know, we're not talking about, um, you know, Italian culture or French culture or American culture or Southern culture or whatever the culture, you know, your background may be. We're not talking about just natural culture. We're actually talking about kingdom culture. And we are in this series, we are exploring what is God's purpose? What is God's plan? How many of you remember the first week of this series? I had you write down some questions on a note card. Who remembers that you did write down questions on a note card? Just, just smile and nod if you have some vague recollection of that. Now, I did tell you to tuck it in your Bible and um, you, I'm sure you've had it in your Bible, you've been bringing it out, you're just meditating on it, and you're going, I just have to get the answers to these questions, uh, right? Just smile and say, yes, that's, that's what I've been doing. No, I know that's not the case. Um, I, I'll tell you, to be honest, uh, sometimes, even for me, we, I can speak something on Sunday, and a few days later, I go, what was it again? That's why it's so important to take notes. That's why it's so important to, to not just hear it, but to grab hold of it. Now everybody's going, where's my notebook? I know I can, I, I can take some notes somewhere. Um, but we, I asked these questions. Uh, no, number one, I said, what is God's mission? What is God's mission? The second question I asked is, what is the church? If you've come to church today, how many of you think it's good to know what the church is? And church is... Um, certainly more than just a weekly meeting, although if you are a part of the church, you will gather with God's people, but it's actually a lot more than that. God's mission is actually a lot more than, you know, making people just Christians. God doesn't want us just to be Christians. Some of you are like, what kind of church is this? Here's what I want you to understand. What, What God's purpose is, is yes, you can be a Christian, believe in Jesus, and you go to heaven when you die. But God has a lot more for you than that. God's purpose is a lot bigger than that. God's purpose is bigger than just getting you into heaven when you die. He actually doesn't want to just get you into heaven. He wants to get heaven into you and through you to change the world around you. Now, I don't know about you, but if church is, let's just come together once a week, have a cup of coffee, sing some Christian karaoke, hear an inspirational word. How many of you know we got something better to do with our Sundays? We've got something better. But if this is 
if this is what the Bible says it is, if this is the, the, uh, the house of God, if, this, if we are uh, citizens, if we've been given the keys to the kingdom of God, if we are, what, as the Bible says, the hope of the world, then this suddenly becomes exciting. Then this suddenly becomes something that I say, man, I want to be a part of it. I want to I pour my life into it. I want to pour my time into it. I want to pour my energy and my, my resources into what God is doing on the earth. And so that's what we've been looking at. And, and kind of the big idea that we've been examining is what is the culture that God is calling us to be? What's the culture of heaven that God wants to bring into earth? I was thinking this week about culture and I was thinking of an example to share with you to help uh, just demonstrate and continue to drive home uh, what culture means. And, uh, you know, culture is, I, I define it this way, it's the character of a people in a place. Um, but how many of you have ever been to Cracker Barrel? Some of you have been to Cracker Barrel. And how many of you know Cracker Barrel is a cultural experience? For better or for worse, it is a cultural experience and when you walk in, it doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter where in the United States you're at. My parents used to have a roadside map that showed all the Cracker Barrels in America. And it didn't matter whether we walked into Cracker Barrel in Florida or Tennessee. And you couldn't, I don't think there's Cracker Barrel too much further north than that. But it doesn't matter where you walked into, the, the culture was the same. And it is a culture that is intentionally designed to just feel homey. It kind of feels like, you know, some of us, you know, we may feel it's more foreign than others, but uh, I always felt like I was walking into my grandparents' house or maybe my great-grandparents' house. In fact, I used to think that the guy sitting by the barrel on the logo, I thought that was my great-grandfather. <laughs> I don't know how that got in my head, but I just thought he's the guy on, by the barrel. And, um, but, you know, Cracker Barrel has a culture. Now, there's other places that, same, that serve the same food but have a different culture. And the reason I give you that illustration is because the church is called to carry the culture of heaven on earth. When people walk into this place, they, they should say there's something different about this place. You know, regardless of where you walk in it, to Cracker Barrel, it's got that feeling, that same feeling that should be the way it is with the church. And I'll say this, it's, it's regardless of denominations, it's regardless of style, it's regardless of even just our personal preference. Ultimately, the culture of heaven is the presence of God. And so when we welcome the presence of God and we are welcoming the culture of heaven into our lives, and we've been talking about what is this culture? How do we know if we are embodying this culture into the earth? And there's no better place really to look than the Sermon on the Mount. And that is probably the most power-packed passage in the scripture to really explain the culture of heaven and the culture that God is calling us to be. And so we've been looking through that, uh, looking at different aspects of the, the culture of the kingdom of God. We talked about a culture of purpose. We talked about a culture of conviction. We talked about a culture of commitment a couple of weeks ago. And I want to pick up on that today in Matthew chapter 5. And I want to speak to you today about a culture of service, a culture of service. The kingdom of God or the culture of heaven is a culture of service. And let's read a few verses in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. 
Jesus says this, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Now, here we find another one of those instances that Jesus is saying something that uh, oftentimes we would prefer not to hear. A lot of what Jesus says, I, I kind of think, you know, Jesus, I, I, I'd like to have selective hearing. I, I want to hear all of the you love me, all of I'm forgiven. But Jesus, this stuff, I'd like to just kind of edit out. Uh, but, but Jesus loves us too much to just tell us what we want to hear. I said it before. How many of you know if you went to the doctor, you don't want the doctor to just tell you what you want to hear. You want the doctor to tell you the truth right? And here we find Jesus once again telling us the truth. And he starts off with this phrase, you have heard it said. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now Jesus is in this passage quoting directly out of the Old Testament. For the people who were listening to Jesus initially, when Jesus said, you've heard it said, they would have been very familiar with these words. They were taken right out of the Old Testament that many of them had, mem had memorized. But Jesus is actually using this to set the stage for a new culture. And, and what he is doing here is sharing what is uh, ultimately, we could call a, a legal system or a system of law. Now, every culture has a legal system that governs, and that legal system is intended to restrain evil. It's intended to set the boundaries in which people should live. And Jesus is quoting the legal system of the Old Testament, and he says this, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, that's actually not the, the full verse out of the Old Testament. The full verse says this in Deuteronomy 19.21. It says this. I think we have it on the screen. Your eye shall not pity. Your eye shall not pity. Now, the context of this is dealing with violence, dealing with injustice, dealing with oppression. And in the Old Testament, under the Mosaic Law, the Scripture is saying, if someone commits violence against you, you shall not pity. Your eye shall not pity. Now, how many of you know uh, when you've been wronged, that's the, kind of, that's the kind of attitude you want to take? Like when somebody wrongs you, you want to get real Old Testament up in there. You know what I'm saying? You start praying those Old Testament prayers. God, break their teeth out. God, destroy them. Those kind of Old Testament prayers. But Jesus is actually using that to reframe the culture. He's saying, you've heard it said, your eye shall not pity. Life for a life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for foot. Now, under the Old Testament, this was the law that governed uh, violence and retribution. And if someone sinned against you, if somebody came up and punched you in the eye, 
and you lost your eye under the law, then you could take their eye out. If somebody did something that that they, they punched you and they knocked your tooth out, then under the law, the just uh, response was you could knock their tooth out. And that was the culture. That was the, the way that people lived. And ultimately, the purpose of that law was to restrain evil. That's why Jesus says this. He goes on to say, but I tell you, in verse 39, Matthew 5, 39, but I tell you, not to resist an evil person. Now, if you don't understand that phrase, you don't get anything else that Jesus is going to say after that. Because what Jesus is ultimately doing is he's identifying the root problem in our society, and it is the problem of evil. It's the problem of evil. It's not the, the problem in our society is ultimately not just an absence of education although education is good. The problem in our society is not just economic disparity, although the Bible calls us to give to the poor. The problem in our society is is not just some external problem. Ultimately, the problem in our society is not a physical problem. It's a spiritual problem. It's the problem of evil. And here's the thing about a system of law is that a system of law can control evil, but it will never cure evil. Welcome to 2021. These things that Jesus is talking about, how many of you know it's still a thing? It's still a thing today because it's not just a physical problem, it's a spiritual problem, the the, the problem of evil. And so Jesus says this, he sets the stage of the old culture, which was governed by a system of law, but then he is proposing a new culture that is no longer governed by the system of law, but now governed by the spirit of love. He's saying this, that the law can never deal with the root problem, the problem of evil. It can contain it, but it will just manifest in a new way. You know, we can make stricter laws on violent crime, and I think that would be a good thing. But how many of you know, you can make the laws uh, stricter on violent crime, and it's just going to manifest in another kind of crime. It'll turn into white-collar crime. And if you make stricter laws about white-collar crime, uh, you'll just turn the, the, the same problem will manifest in another way. No longer will somebody actually kill you physically or steal your livelihood, they, they will now just kill you with their tongue, right? It's the same problem. It's a, it's a different manifestation. But Jesus here gives us a solution to that problem. And listen to what he says. I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Some of you are like, I'm, I'm under, underlining, oh, whoops, I crossed that out. <laughs> if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go with them one mile, go with them a second mile. And from him who asks to borrow, do not turn him away. 
Now let me break down a little bit of what the context was that Jesus was talking about. Under the Old Testament law, there was all kinds of rules on, on if somebody hit you, how you could hit them back. If, uh, and some of you are like, I need to, I really need to understand that. I need to get a grip on that. Um, if they hit you with an open hand, you could hit them back with an open hand. If they hit you with a closed hand, you can hit them with a closed hand. It was kind of equal force. How many of you know, though, you don't just hit back with equal force? You hit back just a little harder. I'm, I'm, that's in the flesh, right? Oh, y'all are acting super holy now. I know that is true. That is true. But here's what it says. Jesus doesn't say, uh, you can hit them back. He says, now you turn the other cheek. If they hit you on one cheek, you don't evaluate, well, how hard did they hit me so that I know how, you know, how hard I can hit them back? Was that an open hand? Because I'm going to do a, an open hand. No. He says, you turn the other cheek. You let them hit, or at least offer them another cheek to hit you again. Anybody have this as your life verse? Anybody, you're like, this is my life verse, turn the other cheek, I just love it, super inspirational. No. Here's, and then listen to what he says, he goes on to say, if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, and so now he's not just talking about an evil person, he's talking about an evil system, a legal system. He's saying if anybody wants to sue you and take away your tunic, don't just give them your tunic. You're like, I wasn't planning on giving them my tunic. He's saying, no, give them your tunic, but give them your cloak also. Now, I noticed as you were walking in today, all of you have very lovely tunics and cloaks on. <laughs> to put that into modern vernacular, your tunic was your outer garment. And so to give somebody your tunic was to give them your jacket. But to give them your cloak would have been to give them basically your undergarment. And what Jesus is saying here, yep, I'm, I'm, not me, he's saying it. If they sue you for your jacket, here's what you do. You take off your jacket, and while you're standing in court, you go ahead and take it all off and give it all to them. That's the picture of what Jesus is, is speaking of. Then he goes on to say, if anyone, uh, whoever compels you to go one mile with him, go with him too. Now, uh, the context of that is helpful if we understand that under Roman rule in the culture which Jesus was talking about, a Roman uh, soldier had the authority to come up to any citizen and demand that they carry their equipment, the Roman soldier's equipment. And under Roman law, they were obligated to carry that equipment one mile. Now, how many of you know that would feel kind of oppressive if you're just walking down the street and, and a foreign army that you already don't like who has invaded your nation is now coming up to you and saying, hey, carry my stuff. How many of you have that little voice on the inside of you that says like that little voice on the inside of me, make me? Anybody ever have that little voice on the inside, make me? It's... Um, <laughs> We're trying to shrink it down, but, but here's what Jesus says. Don't just go one mile. When you have that moment, you are faced with the option. You can either fight against them, or you can feel victimized by them. 
And what Jesus is saying is, I don't want you to resist them, and I don't want you to be victimized by them. I actually want you to take their stuff, and when you get to the end of that first mile, I want you to just keep walking. I want you to just keep going. And here's the reason why, because he is shifting the paradigm. He's shifting the culture. He's putting a new input into the system. How many of you know that a system is only as good as the input that gets put in? And what Jesus is saying is, I want you to, in that legal system, I want you to insert a little bit of love into that system. And here's what is going to happen. When you insert love into the system, it breaks the system. You don't sound convinced about that. I have a feeling that maybe they were not convinced either. I have a feeling that there may have been someone at the back of the crowd listening to Jesus' sermon on the mount and say, uh, not going to happen. But listen, Jesus continues he, it actually gets stronger. He says, you have heard that it was said in verse 43, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. How many of you have ever been cursed? Anybody ever given you the, um, what do they call it? The, they call it the California salute on the interstate? The middle finger? I forget what is it. Anybody ever seen that middle finger going down the highway? Is your first response, bless you too? <laughs> That's not your first response. And uh, if you have responded the way you have felt like responding, just keep looking straight ahead right now and pretend like you don't know what I'm talking about. That's not the first response. I, I had a moment this week, I've told you before, that, that often when I preach on something, God gives me the opportunity to walk it out. I, I either have to walk it out before I speak it to you, or I have to walk it out after I speak it to you, but God makes sure that I get a little bit of the medicine too. And this week, God gave me the opportunity, and I won't give you all of the details, but I had a moment... That, that Jarrett said earlier, Christians can cuss. Is that what you said, Jarrett? Christians can cuss. I had a moment that I, I got to tell you, I wanted to cuss. Now, I didn't cuss, but I wanted to cuss. And um, online, I wanted to cuss in the comment section. Anybody ever wanted to cuss in the comment section? Don't do it in the comment section. It's out there for good, okay? But here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying this. I, I'm, I've come to bring a different culture. And in the culture of humanity, in human culture, strength is for selfishness. Strength is, my strength is to defend myself, is to take care of myself, to provide for myself, to, to just look out for myself. But Jesus is reframing our perspective on strength. And he's saying this, that in the kingdom of God, strength is not for selfishness. Strength is for service. Strength is to serve other people. Now, it is human nature to want to react that way, but Jesus is shifting it. 
He's shifting it. He's shifting our whole perspective. And you can hear this and you can say, well, you know, good, that's good for you, but not for me. That's not the way that I do it. That's not the way I was raised. But why is this attitude of serving, using our strength to serve, why is this so important? Ultimately, this attitude of service is important because it's the attitude of God. It's the nature of God. The reason God tells us to react not in selfishness, but to react in service is because service is the nature of God. And if you want to be like God, you've got to learn how to serve. If you want to live in the kingdom of God, you've got to shift your perspective from selfishness to service. And ultimately, it's because that's who God is. Look at what the Bible says in Matthew 5, 45. Verse 44, he's saying, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Verse 45 says, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So what Jesus is saying is the reason that this attitude of service is important is because this is the nature of God. How many of you want to be like God? If you want to, it's not so enthusiastic this morning. Three of us want to be like God this morning. <laughs> if we want to be like God, if we want the life that Jesus has come to bring us, we've got to be like God. He makes the sun shine on the just and the unjust. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Because if the sun didn't shine on the unjust, you and I would be much more pale than we are right now. If the rain didn't, didn't fall on the good and the evil, how many of you know we'd be pretty thirsty? The, the fact that the sun shines on all of us is just a demonstration that God is good that he uses his strength not to serve himself, not for selfish purposes, but God uses his strength to serve humanity. And ultimately, every one of these things that Jesus is commanding, he himself fulfilled. He says this, that you should, uh, that, that uh, don't resist an evil person. Whoever strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Jesus was hit in the face. Jesus was slapped in the face. His beard was torn out. He says this, if anybody wants to sue you and take away your tunic, give your cloak also. Jesus was stripped naked. He says this, whoever compels you to go one mile, go two miles. Jesus carried a burden that was not his own. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that Jesus didn't say, that's not my problem. That's not my burden. Who do you think you are? I'm glad that Jesus stood in the greatest demonstration of strength that humanity has ever seen. And he was slapped in his face. He was beaten. He was stripped naked and a cross was put on his back. And he was demonstrating the greatest power in humanity that is not for selfishness, but it is for service. So service 
is the nature of God. That's why the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus Every knee will bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's the good news of the gospel, that Jesus came to serve, that God loves us enough that he didn't just watch from a distance, but he came and he took our burden on his back. Therefore, as followers of Jesus, we're called to be a culture not of selfishness, but of service. How many of you know we've had an opportunity to practice that over the last two years? We have had the opportunity, here it's talking about uh, evil people, evil systems, evil government. Now, I'm not pointing fingers at a government or a political leader you probably have in your mind whoever you think that person is. But whoever that person is, here's what Jesus says, don't resist them, serve them. Serve them. That's how Jesus changed the world, not through his own strength, but through his sacrificial service. If you want to be just like the world, stand up and yell for your rights. If you want to carry the kingdom of God, lay down your life and serve others around you. Come on, that's better than, Jared, give me a high five. I'm, and nobody else, I'm, I'm preaching to you. I'm telling you, we have an opportunity to do this. We have an opportunity to influence the world around us. And it will not happen through our strength, through our natural strength. There's got to be a supernatural strength. How many of you remember when Jesus was being arrested in the garden? You remember that? Do you remember what Peter did? He pulled out his his sword and he chopped off the guy's ear. And and he he was standing his ground, was he not? He's saying, this is unjust. I'm going to stand up for it. And, And what did Jesus say? Jesus said to him, actually said to him, put your sword in its place. Put your sword in its place. Now, uh, here's here's a little practical thing, and this uh, isn't in my notes, and I wasn't planning to say this. But how many of you know you read this, and if you just read what Jesus says, you may walk away from it and go, if you really take it serious, you may walk away from it and go, is Jesus saying that we can't fight back? And silence fills the room. And, and here's the next question. Well, if somebody breaks into your house in the middle of the night, am I just supposed to lay there and let them hurt my family and hurt my kids? Now, here's what I, I want us to say. First, we need to start with not what is practical. We need to start with what is the principle. What is the principle? 
And Jesus is demonstrating this principle that ultimately you will never solve the problem of evil through your own strength. Now, you may stop them in that moment, and I'm not saying that in that moment you should not stop them, but you'll never solve the problem. You can't fight to overcome evil in that way. Ultimately, only the gospel, only the love of Jesus has the power to transform a person's life. And so what is Jesus saying? Is Jesus saying that we need to be pacifist? Now, there are some people, and I know this is kind of a teaching moment. I'll just get real practical. There are some of our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ that would read this, and, and honestly, there are parts of the body of Christ that because of this, they would say that it is wrong to serve in the military. There are some that would say it's wrong to uh, bear arms. What does the Bible say? Here's what I want you to understand, and this is a real practical thing. I'm not just talking spiritual, but it does get practical. And to be honest, Chad, I wrestled with this this week. I was reading this, and I'm going, God, if, I, if I'm just reading this, and you're saying turn the other cheek, does that mean I've got to get rid of my weapons, whatever those weapons are that I'm not telling you about right now? but I'm armed to the teeth, I'll just tell you that. Don't even think about it. No. I was saying, Lord, is this, what, what are you saying? And to be honest, I was wrestling with it. I was wrestling with it because I'm going, God, I think you're saying here, this just sounds like, are, are we, do I need to tell everybody to get rid of guns? Now, I know you all about pulled them out right now, just saying that. It almost made you. Here's what I want you to notice. Think about when, when Peter, when Jesus is arrested, and Peter stands up. Peter pulls out a sword. Now, how many of you know that that sword did not just appear in that moment? Apparently, P Peter had a sword. Peter was a follower of Jesus, and he was walking around armed, apparently. And some of you are like, yes, that is, I'm, amen, shout. Some of you are shouting the loudest. You've been all day. But here, here's what I want you to see. Apparently, Jesus, he had been carrying a sword, and Jesus had apparently, up until this mo moment, had never said to him, Peter, get rid of your sword. Jesus hadn't said that. But notice what Jesus says in that moment. He says, Peter, put your sword in its place. He says, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. What, Peter, what Jesus is saying to Peter is, Peter, you got the wrong culture. You're missing the culture. And Peter, this is a teaching moment that my kingdom will never be established through the sword. It will never be established through the enforcement of physical strength. It will be established through service. Peter, put your sword in its place. So here's my word on weapons. Keep them in their place. Whatever, that, whatever your weapon is, keep it in its place. And here's what I want you to say. What I, what I believe, it's not wrong to have weapons. It's wrong to trust in weapons. It's wrong to think because I have a weapon, be that a nunchuck, a ninja star, throwing <laughs> knives, whatever it is. I, you do you. But it's wrong to think because I have that, therefore I'm safe. Because I have that, therefore I'm strong. Because I have that, therefore, my security, 
Uh, my future is secure. And I have my weapons and they won't take my weapons. Now, again, I'm thankful that we live in a place where we have the opportunity to do that, should you choose to. It's not wrong to have a weapon, it's wrong to have an idol. It's wrong to have an idol. And an idol is something that you look to to give you what only God can give you. Now, that may be money, that may be position, that may be physical strength, that may be your own words. How many of you know words can be weapons too? And what Jesus is saying is that you will never bring the kingdom of God. You will never change the world through physical and natural strength. We will change the world through sacrificial service. And I'm telling you, one church, Park District, God is calling us not just to be a culture of selfishness, a culture that is all about me. He's calling us to be a culture of sacrificial service. So I want to give you three things I believe that we need to do. I would say it this way, three shifts that we need to make if we're going to shift from a culture of selfishness to a culture of service. The first thing that we need to do is we need to shift from position to purpose. We need to shift from position to purpose. Look at what the Bible says in the book of Philippians, that, God be, that, that Jesus being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. What Paul is saying here is that Jesus is equal to God. If you have an org chart of the Trinity, Jesus is on the same level as the Father and as the Spirit. He had all of the position to claim all of the power that God has in himself. In fact, Jesus says this as they're taking him to the cross. He says to Peter, Peter, don't you think that I can, I can, I can say the word and a legion of angels will come? He's saying, I'm not insecure about my position, but I've recognized that there is a purpose that is greater than my position. And I believe that's true for all of us, that God gives us a position, but regardless of what our position is, our position is always to serve His purpose. That may be your position at work. Maybe you're the boss at work. Maybe you're at the top of the org chart. Maybe you don't have anybody else that's, that, that is above you, but ultimately what God is saying is that if you're in that position, it's always for my purpose. And when you understand the greatness of God's purpose, suddenly your position becomes a whole lot less important because you're not just living for your position, you're living for God's purpose. I love the story about JFK visiting NASA one day. Some of you may have heard this story, but JFK, President Kennedy, was visiting NASA, and he was going around NASA, and he was talking to some of the different people that worked there, and he, he saw three guys, and he went to the first one, and he said, Sir, uh, thank you for your service. What do you do here? And um, he said, um, I empty the trash. I'm a part of the janitorial crew. I, I empty the trash. He said, well, thank you. And he went to the second guy. The second guy was a part of the janitorial crew as well. He said, sir, thank you for your service. What do you do here? He said, I just, I make a living. I'm just here to get a paycheck. I just make a living. He said, well, thank you. He went on to the third guy on the janitorial staff, and he said to the third guy, sir, tell me, what do you do here? And he said, I put men on the moon. Now, he, 
what, what was he saying? He was saying, I understand that my purpose is greater than the position that I'm in. And when you recognize that it is your purpose that determines your value and your power, it is the purpose, not the position you are in, then suddenly the position that you're in becomes a whole lot less important. Suddenly you recognize that, that I'm a part of something greater than myself. That's really the heart that JFK was, was communicating when he said, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. He's saying live for a purpose. Now I want to say we've got a, a purpose much bigger than putting men on the moon. We've got a purpose much bigger than just sending people to space. We are changing history. We are changing history. Every other government has come and gone, but today the name of Jesus endures. So number one, we need to shift from position to purpose. Number two, we need to shift from reputation to revelation. I worked hard to get those rhyming words. We've got to shift from reputation to revelation. Look at what the Bible says, that Jesus being equal with God made himself of no reputation. Your reputation is what people say about you. And how many of you know we spend a lot of time thinking about what people say about us? We all do. What do they say about me? How many likes do I have? What's the, what's the reputation around town? But a culture of service is not about your reputation, but about the revelation of what God has done for you. And the greater you have this recognition of the revelation of who you are in Christ, the less dependent you become on your reputation. Anybody ever had somebody say something about you? Think something about you? Look at you? not quite the way you want them to look at you, and it's ruined your whole day? Again, just look straight ahead. We've all been there. And, and here's the reason why, because reputation is what men say about you. Revelation is what God says about you. And Jesus was not insecure in his identity. Jesus was not going to the cross perpetually insecure. Well, Father, if I, if I lay down my life, what will people say? If I lay down my life, what will they think? I, I believe this. Jesus was going to the cross with the words of the Father echoing in his ears. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. You see, when you get a revelation of what God says about you, you no longer have to live for yourself because you've got someone a lot greater than you who's watching your back. Come on, how many of you know God can do a lot more for you than you can do for you? And when God is watching out for you, suddenly you become free to watch out for everybody else because you don't have to live insecure. You recognize, I've got a revelation of who I am in Christ. I have a revelation that there may be an economic turn this way or that way, but my value and my identity is not dependent on my bank account. You become free, and you become free to serve other people. And, and if we want to be the culture 
of heaven. If we want to be the culture of the kingdom of God, we need a revelation of who we are in Christ. That's why it's so important to read the Word of God. I encourage you, get a highlighter and just highlight everything that God says in the, in the Bible about you. Write it on your mirror. I was at Carrie Basile's house one time in the bathroom, and it was a life-changing experience because she just had this printed out. It was the best idea ever. Carrie, I think, has stepped out, but it was the best idea ever. Um, she had printed it. She and Michael had printed just these declarations of what God says about you. I'm telling you, write it out. Remember it, meditate on it. It, it. it is fuel to serving. It's fuel for who God's called you to be. So number one, we need to move from position to purpose. Number two, we need to move from reputation to revelation. And then number three, we need to move from victims to victorious. Victims to victorious. How many of you know in this world, it is very easy to fall into a victim mindset? In fact, if you see yourself as a victim, you will live your life as a perpetual victim. If you believe everybody's against you, nobody loves you, you know what's going to happen? People are going to start not wanting to be around you. (laughs) And you will become a victim. And we can allow circumstances to cause us to feel like victims. A victim is always concerned about themselves. Did they say hi to me? What did they think about me? They didn't, they didn't comment on what I'm wearing. Nobody said that my message was good. I'm going to go home and cry. How many? Thank you. Thank you, Deanna. That wasn't a, a, a plea for feedback, but here's my point. I'm, I'll tell you the truth. If, if I lived out of just needing affirmation from other people, I would live as a victim. And so would you. Because people can never fill the the God-shaped void that is within your soul. And if you are perpetually looking for people to do for you what only God can do for you, you will live your life as a victim. But when you recognize, as Jesus recognized... That even if he laid down his life, he knew that his father was so good and so loving that even if he was beaten and whipped and flogged and laid down in the grave, he knew that there was going to be resurrection power. He knew that God, would, that God would give him the victory. And that's what the Bible says. Therefore, God has highly exalted who? Him. Thank you, Todd. God has highly, let's all say it together, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that's above every other name that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, Jesus went to the cross not as a victim, but as a victor. As he was slapped in his face, as he was stripped naked and nailed down to the cross and and died on that cross. He did not die as a victim. He died as a victor. And now 2,000 years later, the name of Jesus is celebrated by more people in history than any other name. Caesar is gone. He's a second-rate pizza chain. Little Caesars. But Jesus... 
Sorry if you're a Little Caesars fan, Little Sleezers fan. But Jesus is the name above every other name. You see, victims say this, I have to serve. You're taking this from me. I'm obligated. Victims say, how much do I have to give? How much do I have to serve? How, how early do I have to be there? That's what victims say. Victors say, not I have to serve. Victors say, I get to serve. Victors say, I get to give. Victors say, I get to lay down my life for others. Not I have to know my neighbors, but I get to know my neighbors. Not I have to serve my neighbors, I get to serve my neighbors. And that's the kingdom of God, not living as a perpetual victim, but living as a victor in Jesus' name. Would you stand up to your feet this morning?